Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. Harry, do you know why Professor Quirrell couldn't bear to have you touch him? It was because of your mother. She sacrificed herself for you. And that kind of act leaves a mark. No, no. This kind of mark cannot be seen. It lives in your very skin. What is it? Love, Harry. Love. Hello and welcome to Born of Wonder, starting today's episode with a great scene there from the first Harry Potter movie, uh, Albus Dumbledore there reminding Harry of the power of his mother's love to stop the greatest, worst, most violent wizard in the world. Nothing could be stronger than his mother's self-sacrifice. What a beautiful start to the episode. What a beautiful story. I'm so excited. This is so fun. We just get to talk about Harry Potter for like an hour. (laughs) So dig in, get a cup of tea, um, relax. Uh, if, if maybe iced tea, if you're, you know, in one of these places where it's a hundred degree plus, uh, no one was spared apparently, even my friends in the UK and Europe were struggling. So, um, I feel for you, you know, there's nothing worse in my mind than the heat. So I'm very sorry. I hope that things cool down. I hope everyone is safe and well, um, and, uh, and that we can all just get, get through this, just get through this slog at the end of summer here. <laughs> and uh, we'll be in fall before we know it. So welcome to the podcast. This is Born of Wonder. Uh, on this podcast, we explore anything and everything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. You can always contact me, find out more about the podcast, so on and so forth at bornofwonder.com. You can follow me on Instagram at bornofwonder. I am briefly back on there um, a little more frequently lately. These hot, long days have even driven me back onto social media. That's how bad it is. Um, But I have been having some interesting conversations, um, sort of uh, diving into some direct messages to talk to some future guests and uh, and get get some some things planned for the podcast. So I'll be on there a little while longer. But remember, my email is always available. Just go to the contact me page. And of course, I appreciate all of you who have become patrons $2 a month. Uh, just follow the link in the show notes. So appreciate it and any reviews you leave for the podcast. But I am not going to do a long introduction here. There's so much I could say about this amazing conversation I had with my friend Gina, Gina Didaglo. Um, she is a, a fellow Catholic convert like me, so we talk about that in the beginning a fair amount and how that shapes our understanding of the Harry Potter books and life and parenting and everything else. Uh, she is English, raised in Scotland, now living in France with her French husband, two small kids. Uh, she's mainly a stay-at-home mom, but does some freelance editing and writing as well. She's a wonderful writer. Highly encourage you to sign up for her Substack, uh, which you can find in the show notes. We'll also talk about that at the end. But we have this 
very wonderful um, sort of free-flowing conversation about the theology of Harry Potter, what struck us, um, you know, about the themes, our own relationship to the books, what it means to be in a, a generation uh, that that grew up with these books as sort of a common language. We talk about what houses we are, <laughs> um, and we get into some 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 deep ideas about fear and love and sacrifice and I, I just had so much fun talking to her um unfortunately we had a little bit of a bad connection luckily it recorded fine gina's audio actually sounds better than mine <laughs> um but in the moment uh just con the connection of the call was a little delayed so i i had to edit out um sort of when we just first started talking we were of course chatting away the way you do and talking over one another and i didn't really realize there was this big delay <laughs> uh so we had to learn to kind of say our piece and then pause and then go so, um, but I did want to say that we met uh, because of the wonderful Fountains of Carrots podcast. If you don't listen to that, it's just sort of a chit-chatty show um, that is wonderful for literary Catholic women. Um, <laughs> I remember when I discovered Haley uh, Stewart, she's one of the hosts, Haley Stewart and Christy Eisinger, amazing um, hosts, amazing writers. Um, when I discovered Haley's blog, I felt like, wow, there's this whole community of people that uh, they love. They're Catholic, they love British, uh, <laughs> British costume dramas, they seem to watch the same shows, read the same books, um, and that's sort of uh, this wonderful common thread. So if you're looking for some new friends, I highly encourage you to hop over to the Fountains of Carrots Facebook group. I think that's where Gina and I first encountered each other. Then we became patrons of the podcast and we entered into a smaller Slack group uh, where we were chit-chatting in there and then we followed each other on social media. And just as these things go, then we uh, started having deeper conversations based on the things we were bringing up in our writing. So, and now I got to just have this great chat with her. So thank you, Gina, for, for taking the time uh, over this international call uh, to talk about Harry Potter. I, I'm so excited. Um, from editing this, I'm going to hop right in bed now with a Harry Potter book because <laughs> I'm just so excited to re-enter this universe, and I hope you are too. We do also touch on some of the controversies about Harry Potter in the Christian world and what we think of that. So there's so much uh, interesting stuff ahead. I hope you will uh, settle back and enjoy. But um, without further ado, let's just launch right into the conversation with Gina Dadaglo. One thing that's interesting is that one point of connection for both Gina and I is that we are both Catholic converts, and of course that could be its own long conversation that really isn't what this show is about, but um, I did want to, you know, acknowledge that because that certainly, you know, changes how we approach literature and the things we read and everything like that. So did you just want to give us sort of the um, elevator pitch of your, your conversion? <laughs> Yeah, well, like you as well, I converted from atheism. So I think that's what's kind of more unusual because a lot of the time when you come across converts online, they're converts from some uh, denomination of Protestantism. Um, I actually am technically a, a convert from Protestantism because I first became Anglican for a few years before um, I became Catholic, but I always think of that as my kind of figuring things out phase. I kind of knew when I became Anglican that that wasn't the end of the road. I knew I wanted to be a Christian, but I didn't know how or really what I believed. And I was, you know, processing a lot of 
things that com conflicted a lot with the kind of secular world I'd you know I'd, I'd grown up in and gone to university in and everything but I converted to Catholicism in 2012 no no I converted to Anglicanism in 2012 I converted to Catholicism in 2016. That's interesting because I actually, even though I didn't become Anglican, um, we did start going to like an Episcopal church first. Like that was our first, you know, foray into like, like you know, living out a religious tradition. Um, so I think there's maybe something for us, you know, agnostic atheists that's like approachable about like not going all in Catholic, but drawn to the beauty of the church and the traditions and things like that. And then once you get involved, you're like, you know, I want to just keep going, um, which often leads you to Catholicism. But um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think we have a very similar story. I always say that um, I really I needed that step in my journey when I still had a very, if you like, secular theology, because I never would have progressed with my conversion if I'd had to like jump feet first into everything the church teaches which was so contrary to everything that i knew and everything that i believed um and i really needed that kind of transition period yeah i, I completely agree and i mean i was a religious studies major so i was like all I, I loved the beauty of the church and everything like that but i actually really valued my time as sort of an outsider because the pressure was off i always say that to people you know if you're thinking oh i wish so and so would convert or something it's like sometimes it's better for them to, I mean, t things take, you know, the time they take and it's, they may need to encounter things, you know, they may not be ready to accept certain things. I mean, there were certain things about Catholicism I thought were absolutely insane for, you know, many years and I needed to, you know, really think through those things before I, I got on board. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think everybody comes at it differently, right? Like everybody finds that it's some different aspect of the theology or a saint or somebody that you encounter in your own life that's what makes you think, huh, actually, maybe there's something here. And then that's kind of the gateway to the kind of, well, beginning to unpack, you know, the endless depths and treasures of the church. Um, but you can't, you can't really persuade someone into it or talk someone into it you know you have to let people move on their own timeline yeah absolutely and i mean so to transition into our our topic today of harry potter i actually know i can think of two people who told me that they've like come back to the faith or rediscovered things about the faith because of harry potter uh so despite some of its um reputation sometimes um you know it's certainly been meaningful to a lot of people i know it's been meaningful to me maybe not i don't, I don't think it caused my conversion, but uh, looking back at the books and just these sort of stories, they had a huge impact, I think, on my understanding of theology. But um, so what is your relationship to Harry Potter? I think the reason we brought this up is that you were rereading it and really noticing um, a lot of the Christian themes. Yeah, well, you know, I really, I was thinking about when I first read Harry Potter. And so I was born in 92 and the first book came out in 97 so I was five or maybe six um and I do remember reading it for the first time when I was that age um and kind of like not really be being very interested and I just put it to the side 
But then I guess it took a bit of time for the kind of Harry Potter mania to build up. Um, and so I think it was around when I was, you know, 10 or 11, by which point I guess maybe f four or five of the books were out that I really, you know, sort of came back to them and started reading them as a slightly older child and it got a lot more out of them. Um, but I was reflecting on kind of how my relationship to it has changed. And what I was realizing is that, but I think because I very much grew up like in the Harry Potter generation, it's, it's not like reading other works of literature where even if, you know, they're kind of perennially enjoyed works, there's not the same, it's not the same as um, kind of being immersed in a moment in history when everybody is really focused on, uh, you know, one particular series or, you know, world. Um, and so it really, it's really kind of fused with my identity of growing up at, at that time. Um, and even beyond, I went, so when I was in university and beyond university, I would listen all the time to the Stephen Fry um, audio books of Harry Potter, which are such a kind of comfort thing for me. You know, it's like watching reruns of whatever show you like to watch, you know, like it's the thing that makes me feel just kind of, you know, safe. And it's like a home, it feels like home. Um, and I remember all through my pregnancy with my first daughter five years ago, I was really, really sick. And I just lay in bed listening to the audios kind of like on repeat. Um, but then after she was born, I just stopped listening to it because, you know, babies aren't really there for you to just <laughs> sit and enjoy audiobooks in the background. Um, and so when I visit revisited the first, it was the first book that I um, listened to on audio again, um, kind of at the beginning of this year. It was kind of the longest break I'd had <laughs> from the world of Harry Potter. And that gave me the chance to kind of step back from it and really notice actually, and pay attention again, because I think it had become so, so much an ingrained part of just, you know, my, my experience as someone born in the early nineties, um, that I kind of was almost blind to the, to all the kind of richness that, that the books offer. And especially the first book, because I think people tend to think of that it is maybe less mature or more geared towards younger readers. But I really found a lot of, of depth and richness there in, in the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, um, we. I was born in '91, so we have like the the same, you know, Harry Potter growing up era, um, and I, I have a very similar experience where I read them, you know, as they came out. I liked them, um, but it sort of wasn't 
the craze until a bit later. Um, but the books sort of got to follow me through, uh, you know, that young adulthood period. So I think for many of us, and I've heard this before, where it's like, we don't have many shared curriculum. You know, many of us, if we were an English major, or we studied literature, you would assume we would have read the same books, but that's not really the case anymore. But if you meet people sort of of our age, they've read Harry Potter. So that's like an instant connection with um, most people our age, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think even for people who didn't read the books or didn't like the books, it's just such a kind of cultural touchstone that people sort of understand the general framework of what, what you're referring to, even if they aren't personally kind of very familiar with, with the books. Right. Like probably not everyone would be doing the deep dive that we're going to do some of, but, um, you know, they might know what house they're in. <laughs> they might've taken a quiz. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what house are, are you out of curiosity? <laughs> Ravenclaw. Oh, okay. What about you? Um, I used to say that I was a Hufflepuff, but then enough people told me that they think I was a Gryffindor. So I think I'm like emerging because I have a bit of a strong personality, but I love all the cozy, nice things about Hufflepuff too. <laughs> yeah, I think like Hufflepuffs get such a bad rap. I think that being a Hufflepuff would actually be the best house to be in if one did get their letter to Hogwarts. Yeah, I think Hufflepuffs are great. <laughs> so you kind of touched on this, but obviously, so your um, relationship with the books has changed and is changing as you're re-encountering them. Um, how do you think you haven't, your, how, your kids are four, four and two, is that right? Or five and two? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you haven't read them to your kids yet. How do you think it's going to be when, when you, if you are going to read them uh, to your little ones? Well, I'm really keen to wait for the right moment to do it and not to do it too soon because I think, you know, there's such a kind of desire to share the books you love with your kids. But I know, you know, from from my own parents, I know there are certain books that they tried to encourage me to read when I was too young to really appreciate them. Um, and some of them I kind of... I, revisited when I was older and then came to really appreciate them myself but others I think I just kind of permanently dismissed because it wasn't the right moment um so I think I want I would rather err on the side of sharing them when when they're a little bit you know later rather than sooner let's say um but I'm really I'm so excited to read it again through their eyes and ears and to kind of experience that magic again because now it's so familiar that I, I can't even think of the word but it's so all-encompassing that the kind of charm and how captivating it is um i think it will be really magical to see my kids experience that and possibly be able to see you know multiple children experience that on multiple occasions and be able to get that kind of secondhand wonder more than once yeah that's one of the super fun things about reading to kids even even though i'm still in the board book stage you know just like 
even just these little stories I remember. It's just so fun to, you know, what she gets excited about and things like that. So, um, but I agree about waiting till the right time. I mean, there are books I think that I was introduced, even like high, high school reading, like, you know, I like Dickens was just ruined for me because of high school reading and things like that. So it would be a shame to ruin something like Harry Potter uh, by jumping in too fast. You can enjoy Harry Potter at a kind of surface level, probably quite young, um, but it would be nice to wait until we can unpack some of the themes a bit. I mean, not that I would want to be kind of doing a literary study of Harry Potter with my kids. I think it's important to just let them enjoy it and make of it what they will. Um, but like I said, I think I was maybe six the first time I tried to read The Philosopher's Stone. And the themes, even just kind of about, you know, Harry's primal loss of his parents and the forces of evil were just a bit over my head at that stage. Um, so I think, yeah, maybe eight, nine, ten would be the sweet spot, depending on the child. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that the themes, like it would just, it would just add a whole other level to be able to encounter them and understand them at that level. And these themes, I mean, to me, especially on rereading and especially as a Christian now, they strike me as so theologically rich and deep and just offering so much. Um, were there certain things, I mean, there's so many we could go through, but were there certain things, especially in your rereading of the first book, that really stood out to you as explicitly a Christian theme? Yeah, well, what really stuck out to me when I was reading it was, so I was reading it in, or listening to it, I should say, in February. Um, so it was just uh, at the time that the Ukraine crisis was beginning. Um, and, you know, it was a moment of obviously great fear in the world. Um, and it really, it really struck me how much the way that JK Rowling addresses fear is very Christian because she really shows us right from the beginning, I think, with um, the example of the Dursleys, that when we let our lives be dictated by fear, we, we, we turn inwards, we cut ourselves off from opportunities to love and opportunities to encounter love. And I think when we of course, you know, the, the scripture tells us many, many times and many saints tell us to not to be afraid, don't fear. And I think we it's kind of easy to reduce that to being a kind of, if you're afraid, then it means that you don't have enough faith in God. And of course, that's part of it. But I think it's so much more than that. You know, fear is so corrosive and... I think we see that so clearly in the world that we live in now that when we let our lives be driven by fear, then it becomes very easy to justify behaviors, it kind of from fairly benign things to 
extremely terrible things, it becomes easy to justify things that are immoral. And I think that, that the first book in particular really speaks to that because, well, as I say, it's starting, starting with, um, with the Dursleys and their, the way they've kind of completely shut themselves off to the magical world and how afraid they are of people seeing them as freaks or weirdos, as I think, I think are the words that they use in the book. Um, but obviously, as we progress through through the story, the fear is one of the well, fear is one of the main themes throughout the whole series. But um, I think, especially in that first book, Harry is having to learn how to live with the reality that he finds himself in this really amazing world that's given him so much but also it's given him so much to be afraid of and i think that's so that's that's so true of our lives as christians and as catholics i think in particular i don't know about you but when i was beginning my kind of going through my conversion process it really and even now you know i really had this sense of this, you know, how how can this be true? This seems too good to be true. But everything, you know, the deeper I look, everything is telling me that this has to be true, that that this is the truth. But at the same time, the deeper that you get into the truth, also, the more you have to contend with the reality of, of evil and how to confront that as a Christian um without living a life that's dictated by fear and i think that unfortunately now it is very accepted culturally and and i think especially in christian culture to let fear of the kind of the outside world make us act in very unchristian ways like to to kind of focus on self-preservation rather than self-donation um, and to use the name of God really as an excuse to, to, to kind of close ourselves off to anything that we find threatening. Um, and I don't think that that's what Christ calls us to. And I think that, that JK Rowling really demonstrates that um, in in Harry's kind of ex- exploration of his newfound identity as a as a wizard. Yeah, that was really well said. I totally agree. And yeah, I think that 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 initial sort of foray, you know, in the hero's journey that we're on, like in the Campbell sense, like his his foray into the mystical world is this new identity for him that is uh, in opposition to everything he's known um, because the Dursleys, of course, are, everything they do is fear-based. Everything, the way they act toward Harry, the way that they interact with anyone around them. um, And also Harry has only known loss without redemption. He's only ever known the loss of his parents as permanent and confusing and irreconcilable. Um, So, I mean, I always found his 
you know, just as like a little kid missing his parents and then see, seeing them, um, you know, in the mirror and everything, just these these promises that, uh, and, and J.K. Rowling has talked about this, that so much of, of Harry Potter is about love's triumph over death. And I think death is the biggest fear um, on a primal level for all human beings. And the story of Harry Potter and the Christian story offers a, uh, you know, a, a um, a reconciliation of that most fundamental fear, but it is hard. It's hard to believe it. <laughs> yeah, and and what what really struck me as well um, on the theme of sacrificial love is that we what's really emphasized to Harry, um, for example, from from Dumbledore and from Hagrid in the first book, is that even in the magical world where you can do anything with magic and magic is this kind of supreme force. It was still an act of love that was more powerful than anything that, that magic could touch or that magic could reach. Um, and I think that's, that's so kind of pertinent to the world we live in now because it feels like the forces that we're contending with are so great and so far beyond anything that any one person can can really do. Um, but it, as I was reflecting on this, it really made me think actually about St. Therese and the little way that, you know, all most of us can do is act as much as we can act from love act for love and from love in everything that we do and it feels it can feel so insignificant but we have to to kind of to trust that that love is the redemptive force that is stronger than anything that the material world can can throw at us. And I think that, that Lily's sacrifice really exemplifies exemplifies that, that in the face of a, a great but terrible wizard exercising magic that's beyond the know of most in the wizarding world, still love was more powerful. Yeah, I mean, sacrificial love, of course, runs throughout the whole series but it does start with that initial sacrifice that leaves you know the permanent mark the visible mark on harry which is always um you know recognizable to everybody that uh that that this was you know the whole thing about it he's christ like he's prophesized he's everything about him is sort of um preordained because of this initial act of love on behalf uh, by his mother um but yeah i did also just want to say that i totally agree with you about just modern life and and Christians especially acting from a place of fear it's something I have to watch all the time about why I'm making certain decisions or something like that because it's really it's very hard and I think that um, Harry's entrance into the wizarding world gives him so much love and joy and amazement and these beautiful friendships but he also is like that much closer and that much more aware of how deep and how powerful the evil in the world is. But we have to remember that the only thing that can stop stop Voldemort in that moment and ultimately is an act of um, self-sacrifice, which is what Harry ends up doing in the in the last book.
Yeah, and I think, you know, the f fear is, is, is kind of a difficult thing to discern because, and I think that this is another way that um, the, the book kind of hit differently now is that now I'm a parent and I think, I think when you don't have children, it's easier maybe to discern what is kind of what what's a fear based decision and what's just being prudent. But with when you have kids, then you know all that all that becomes so much more. difficult and and in a way you know you can you can relate to the dursleys you know like they're this kind of awful family but you can imagine that if you had a child and you'd come into contact with this this world that seems so dangerous and so threatening and something that yeah it seemed like it could just completely blow up your your peaceful happy life well yeah i think it's it's not beyond any of us to just kind of turn our backs on it and say, okay, let's just, let's just pretend it doesn't exist. Um, and let's just act like we, we don't even know what that is and it's foreign to us and we won't mention it to our children and we'll just raise our, our child without the knowledge of this, this other world. Um, And yeah, of course, as parents, we, we have to be really discerning about kind of what what we're exposing our children to and how we expose them to it and how we talk them through it. Um, but I think we also have to be honest with ourselves about what what's what's prudence and what's fear. Um, and that will look different for everyone. You know, we are all placed in different circumstances. We're all... in different environments, with different people in our lives, with different realities, um, and what God is asking from each of us in terms of sort of ex exposing ourselves and our families to two things that, that may be frightening, but also are gateways to, to love and to be loved versus th things where yeah it really is in our family's best interests to yeah to uh to wait a bit to protect our children a bit it's a constant process of discernment um and i don't want to sound like i'm saying that i don't think there is any place for fear in the modern world that's like painly <laughs> not the case um But I think that we need to be careful about, uh, yeah, to be to be truly honest with ourselves and with each other and with God about when fear is driving us away from love. And that has to be the measure, really. Yeah, it is a constant discernment. And you're absolutely right that it's much easier to discern for yourself than to be the one responsible discerning for your kids um, who you are naturally so protective of and feel this immense weight of responsibility uh, about what they will encounter and when and how and 
uh, yeah, so that's always interesting to me reading, um, you know, any books I re read now, um, sort of not picturing myself as the kid in the book, but as the parent, <laughs> it always um, strikes me very differently. And you're right. I mean, the Dursleys, like, I get it. Like this, you know, her sister died, like these crazy things happen all the time. Like, this is a very dangerous world and their son is their life and they are being um, protective, um, not in a good way, but it's certainly a understandable response. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that's what's kind of also been interesting revisiting them now is that I'm able, as you say, to identify much more with the adult characters um, in the books. Whereas of course, at the beginning you're thinking, Am I am I Ron? Am I Hermione? Am I Harry? Am I this person or that person? And now you're thinking, oh, would I be like Mrs. Dursley? Would I be like Lily? Would I be like Dumbledore? You know, and I mean, even just things like it really, really struck me re-listening to it, like just the extent to which Harry was like completely neglected and abused to extremely traumatizing levels that when I was a, a kid reading that and even you know as a kind of as a young adult because it was just so familiar it was just okay you know I knew it was bad but it didn't sort of really move me but it was quite difficult to listen to this time this time around and to think about you know Lily and James are, are are gone and they love their son so much and they of course wanted to be the ones to raise him and and now you know he's been left in this this state of abuse and neglect it's really yeah it's really painful and it it makes a whole new dimension of the story yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, those scenes are hard. I mean, you're like, he lives underneath the stairs. He's like locked in there. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, the level of neglect is really bad as they are in many children's stories. A lot of times I reread and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and like, what's interesting though, is that I think that throughout the series, um, you know, as you know, having grown up with the books like I did, um, I think that the first book starts with rather simplistic um, understandings of the adult characters, you know, Snape is who I'm thinking of specifically, but, and then as, uh, as we go through the books, a lot of things are complicated, you know, Dumbledore's backstory is comp complicated, um, and Snape, you know, who for so long is just the sort of quintessential nemesis of the children um, is ends up being a much different character than they ever realized. Um, so I kind of think that that mirrors that growing up understanding that things are not so black and white, people are not so, um, so one-dimensional, uh, and that there's a lot more to the story, which as we continue to reread and re-experience, I think we go on that journey kind of every time. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's kind of like, you know, when you get older and you think back to, you know, things that happened in your childhood or things that your parents did that at that time you, you know, thought that they were horrible or lame or whatever for doing. 
And then when you look back on it, when you're older, you're like, oh, okay, so, you know, maybe there was a bit more to that. And it's kind of like that, you know, listening back to the first book now that with the, you know, with the benefit of actually knowing how everything pans out um, and kind of seeing the actions of all those people um, through through the eyes of of the kind of the whole trajectory of the series and also as you say being now an adult who has had to face up to that <laughs> that complex reality um in my own life i mean there's no way to i don't think there's any way to get around that as you as you get older yep yeah all stories become more complicated uh so jk rowling said that she didn't talk too much about the fact that she i mean she's she has been quoted as saying she's always viewed this is a Christian story. She was incredibly um, influenced by the Christian tradition and themes, but that she didn't talk about it too often until the last books because she thought that if people knew that, they could kind of guess the ending <laughs> um, and would sort of see through the themes a bit more, which I thought was really interesting because I do think it's been a long time since I've read the Deathly Hallows, uh, but if you look back at the themes in those books in particular, they are so explicitly revolving around this question of of death and overcoming death and what does you know what does overcome death and of course what ultimately happens is a self-sacrifice on behalf of love that is the only way to overcome death and overcome evil in the form of this broken souled literally um person of Voldemort um that the only way to do that uh, and the ultimate prophecy in a very Christ-like way is the giving of Harry's life. Um, I know that you haven't reread past the first one recently, but just sort of if we think about the arc of the series, was there anything else you wanted to bring up that you th that uh, really strikes you or you would want to draw people's attention to? Um, well, yeah, I mean, as you, you, I think maybe just alluded to, the Horcruxes are, of course, um, something that, as a Christian, it's so, I mean, it's so connected to the, to the Christian understanding of sin and, and the, the effects of sin. Um, and I actually, you know, it's something I think about a lot about, I think about Horcruxes a lot in my own life as a Christian and reflecting on my own, on my own sin and on the sin of the world. I find it a really, um, Kind of helpful prism through which to see the 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 ways that that sin yeah it, it literally you know it kills our our souls and thank god that as catholics we have the sacrament of confession and um we're not beholden to that um but it's you know it's always really interesting to talk to people who aren't Christian um, about Harry Potter and to say, huh, well, you know, this is actually really similar to the Christian teaching about this thing or that thing. I remember um, one of my friends quoting Dumbledore to me, and ugh, I now annoyingly cannot remember the quote, 
but it was something that was almost like word for word out of the Bible. And they were like, yeah, this is, this is such a great Dumbledore quote. And I was like, you know, what a great quote that actually is, <laughs> you know, where that comes from. Um, and I think that that's what's, yeah. I mean, also I suppose that, yeah, JK Rowling couldn't sort of explicitly say it was, a Christian allegory because that would have alienated so much of her readership. Um, but I I think it's really it's really fun to I mean not in a kind of not in a kind of mean way, but to have the opportunity to discuss um the themes of the books with people who aren't Christians, um, to as a kind of way to talk about Christian ideas with them. And especially as people like us who maybe don't have many Christians in our circles or for whom sort of bringing up theological ideas would be a bit of a dampener at a party or or whatever and it's a really helpful way to to kind of introduce these these major Christian ideas um and it helps me to make sense of them as someone who is well i don't want to say well versed in catholic theology because i think that that is a a bold claim but somewhat versed anyway um it's a really it's a really helpful tool yeah i think that if i'm ever sort of in a you know uh just not it really feeling my faith life it actually helps me a lot to reread like good books like this um that is sort of a great way to sort of reconnect me um reread harry potter or narnia or something like that that's going to just like re-infuse me um with the ideas without uh sort of the heavy uh heavy-handed theology behind it but it reconnects me to the theology in such a um moving and deep way uh, which i think can really be the power of these stories and of Harry Potter in particular. Going back around to, um, to sharing it with our kids, I think that again, for us as converts, it will be really helpful to have this kind of framework through which to share, share with our kids that Christianity is bigger than just the Bible and Sunday mass. I think, for me when i was first coming into christianity it seemed like this very kind of narrow small thing that it kind of didn't really have it much meaning to my to my wider life and my wider experience and i think that was particularly sort of lacking the personal experience of being raised in a christian family or having a strong christian network um having stories at our hands um to to help talk through some of these ideas and to demonstrate um people kind of living these christian ideals even in fictional worlds um will be really valuable yeah i think you're right um so i did want to do want to just touch on it because i've actually gotten emails before like when I said that I was going to do this people asking what to make of the fact because there are some people and I think actually when he was uh you know before he was Pope I think that Pope Benedict said something disparaging about Harry Potter and I know that there are 
a lot of Christians who are very suspicious of the story and the books and don't want to read them. And I want to say that people can discern, you know, whatever they do or don't want to read or, or you know, that is completely their business. But um, I've always found it interesting because here we are having such a, you know, deep uh, dive into what a Christian story this is. Um, I mean, I just always don't really know what to make of it because I just have not I just, it's just hasn't been the case for me, and uh, I don't know really where this comes from, especially since I put it in the same category as books like Narnia and Lord of the Rings and things like that, that involve magic and witches and all sorts of things, um, you know, that, uh, you know, I guess are part of people's problem with the books. Um, yeah, just what do you, do you make anything of this? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's generally been my impression that those kind of fears coming back around to that theme about Harry Potter tend to come from people who are not actually familiar um, with the stories. They just kind of think, okay, it's a story about kids going to a school and learning magic. And a lot of the kind of well-known uh, priests that I've heard um, or read speak out against Harry Potter. Um, it's been, their, their claims have been refuted, basically. Um, and I think, as you say, you know, everybody should discern what's good for their soul to read. I mean, for sure, there are things I don't read or things I don't watch uh, or listen to because I know that they can kind of lead me down mental paths that are not helpful to my spiritual life. Um, and I can completely see how that could be the case for some people in Harry Potter. But I think that the danger is that, you know, it's so important for the church to uphold her integrity in being clear about why she says what she says. And now, of course, the church does not say, don't read Harry Potter. But when people with platforms kind of say on behalf of the church um, that, you know, Catholics can't read Harry Potter, or Christians can't read Harry Potter, I think it, you know, it kind of, it discredits <laughs> the faith, you know, and there are a lot of things that the church says that are really hard for for the secular world to swallow. And I understand why it's hard for them to swallow it, but I also understand why the church teaches it. And, and I can explain that in a way that's kind of logical and rational, even if they don't agree with some of the fundamental premises. But if you lack that in your ability to say why a Catholic or a Christian shouldn't do such a thing as read Harry Potter, then that's when the church begins to look like a kind of superstitious and um, not very well-educated entity. Um, and I think that the church is above that. Yes, I, I agree. I think that this was the sort of thing that would have that like really turned me off religion previously is, you know, so saying something like that. Um, you can't read that. Don't, you know, that that's off the table. I, I really don't like that 
attitude. Um, and obviously there are do's and don'ts in Catholicism, but like you said, they are based in a very uh, clear, logical, theological understanding that you can learn and it, it, it makes sense to me. And um, But something like this, I've seen because the spells are in Latin, that that in and of itself, that they are real spells. I, I mean, these kind of things, they just, it doesn't sound logical to me. Um, so I would just say to anybody who's concerned that the church has no official stance on Harry Potter, so you are not doing anything wrong by reading them, but also if they aren't your cup of tea or you read them and it makes you want to go run off and become a Wiccan priestess because you're really into the <laughs> spells, then maybe stay away and that's fine. Um, so I think it's just, it's a discernment. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. As as with anything, you know, I always say that for all the rules in Catholicism, there are a million more gray areas. Um, and every rule introduces many more gray areas um, alongside. And we don't need to make rules where there are none. Totally agree. We have enough rules. Let's not make any extra ones. So, uh, um, well, we're, we've almost been chatting for an hour and I don't want to take too much more of your time. Um, so first of all, do you just have any, any concluding thoughts, uh, on our top, on our discussion? And then, um, I would love to have you tell people where they can find you online, um, where they could sign up for your, uh, Substack newsletter um, and things like that, and what and the, and the sort of things that they would find you writing about and talking about on your platform. Well, yeah, this this kind of conversation is my jam, really. I mean, I'm very committed to Catholicism, but I think it's really important to hash out these kind of gray areas and to talk through through things that can kind of leave us feeling like isolated or um, alone in the church. So um, I think that, yeah, you know, that, that for me, that is um, one of the, one of the kind of beautiful themes that anybody in Christian or not can, can uh, benefit from in the, in the Harry Potter books is J.K. Rowling does um, a great job of um, kind of, well, as you said, especially as the books progress, kind of hashing out those those gray areas and the complexity of the human experience, um, and and looking at life beyond and between the the rules and the labels and so on. Um, and my so, but I, I think that. Um, you know, my writing often reflects those kinds of themes. So on Instagram, I am at uh, holy.ordinary. Um, I kind of took a bit of a step back from Instagram in recent months, but I'm still still kind of there, um, posting from time to time as uh, thoughts float into my mind. And my Substack um, is called the process um but the the url is gina june so g-i-n-a-j-u-n-e um 
www.substack.com. I think that's right. Um, we'll put that in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, and there I try to really explore, well, things, things from my own life, um, that have left me feeling kind of perhaps alone in my experience as a Catholic, a lot to do with being a convert or to do with, um, my, my husband is, well, he's a baptized Catholic, but he's not a practicing Catholic. Um, so that kind of raises issues that I try to address. Um, and also being in a Catholic in Europe when it seems like so much of the um, online Catholic world is um, kind of US centric. Um, so I, I hash out a lot of those things um, in my newsletters. Um, and yeah, I just try to convey um well that although we are all we all have different different struggles in in our pursuit of the faith that um we are all we're all struggling along (laughs) um and we're not none of us none of us have it all figured out and pieced together great yeah i absolutely love your newsletter i've read read it out loud with my husband before to like have a discussion based on it. And we both think that you're an amazing writer and uh, everybody should sign up for it. So thank you so much, Gina, for chatting with me. And um, I know there's like so much more we could talk about, but that will have to be it for today. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Katie. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Gina. She is so uh, so so thoughtful and articulate, and I, I so appreciate her thoughts, um, especially just that that first idea of fear being such a running theme in Harry Potter. And you know, in the Bible, the most often repeated phrase, as Saint Pope John Paul II reminded us, is "Be not afraid." And I think that this book, all these books, teach us uh, teach us what that looks like, um, what it means to not be afraid, and what it means to overcome fear. Uh, you know, even the whole discussion of not saying Voldemort's name, of fear of a name only increases fear of the thing itself, and uh, just just what overcomes fear, love and friendship and goodness and all these things, and all that, of course, ultimately overcomes death as well. So what a beautiful story, what a beautiful chance to talk about it. Um, Gina is going to be, I forgot to ask her uh, in the interview, uh, what what she would recommend you know we always like to end with a recommendation a book or a piece of music or something um, so I had to chat with her after the fact and her recommendation is a book called The Lonely Londoners by Sam Selvin I will put a link in the show notes her description of it is that it is a book set in post-war London about West Indian immigrants trying to make a life for themselves written from the perspective of one of the, one of the immigrants um, And the whole book is written in West Indian Pigeon English, uh, which she said is it's it's a very funny, poignant book, um, but also a really interesting look at the history of British racism, since it was written at a time when writing about racism was not uh, exactly a trendy topic. This was written in 1956. Uh, She says it's not about racism, but it's just an inevitable part of the story. And it's short, 150 pages, and was selected as one of the big Jubilee reads this year. So there's a interesting 
interesting um, recommendation from Gina. Definitely going to put that on my list. And I, again, I will put the link to that in the show notes. So I hope you enjoyed uh, today's conversation. Hopefully it inspired some thought-provoking ideas for you. Maybe you're going to go reread, rewatch Harry Potter, um, or maybe have some interesting conversations with your friends based on the themes uh, we brought up today. But thank you so much for listening. As always, I'm Katie Marquette, and this is Born of Wonder. about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. <laughs>